Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to the podcast. Today's episode, we're going to talk about bonding jumpers, most notably supply-side bonding jumpers. Uh, we're going to dabble in those and kind of give you an understanding of how they work. Uh, we're going to talk about equipment bonding jumpers for the load side of an overcurrent device and how it pertains. And we're going to try to stick to dealing inside of service equipment. Um, maybe keep it as simple as a typical panel enclosure, service entrance panel enclosure with a panel board inside of it. That's obviously the guts where you put the breakers on and all of those type of things. We're going to try to keep it simple uh, because a lot of times in a podcast, it's, it can get way too complicated to try to paint you this picture. And so we're going to keep it as simple as possible. So think of yourself in your mind, a typical residential panel. Um, or even a commercial panel, it really doesn't matter, with a main breaker and obviously branch circuit breakers in there. Uh, And so you have a raceways coming in that's bringing service conductors in, uh, and then you have feeders or branch circuits going out that are on the load side of the service disconnection mean and main overcurrent protective device. Um, Just paint that in your mind, okay? And that's all we want right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about And I really want to focus on supply-side bonding jumpers um, in the fact that many people on exams, and of course everybody knows that I teach exam prep courses and have traveled around the country teaching people about the code. And one of the things I notice is when it comes to tables, it might seem pretty simple, but people get confused. So when you're dealing with, for example, table 250.66, you're dealing with grounding electroconductors. But years ago, that was the catch-all table for grounded conductor sizing or minimum sizing uh, and dealing with the bonding jumpers and things like that. And so that table was never labeled all that, but it was used because it was made reference in other areas of the code. So we've since gone away from that. You have 250.66 in your code book. And again, we are in the 2017 edition for this episode. Um, That is exclusively for grounding electrode conductor sizing. And that is very much dependent on the size of the service conductors coming in, right? Okay, so we're not talking about 250.66 today, but I wanted to mention it. Because if you're dealing with an exam or you're in the field and you're wanting to know how to size a supply-side bonding jumper. So let's say I have a piece of service equipment and I've got two raceways coming in. So maybe it's a parallel application that's coming in here, okay? Um, And I've got this coming in and... Maybe I'm coming to concentric or eccentric knockouts, and now since they are impaired, I need to have a uh, a bonding bushing on there, and I'm going to have to have a jumper that takes us over to the grounded terminal bus that also has a main bonding jumper in it that's connecting it to the enclosure. But I have to maintain that integrity because I'm losing it at that impaired connection at the uh, point where those raceways come in. Okay, so if I go through 250.92 you'll see that it says I have to do something. Now, in our case, we're going to say that they're an impaired connection to that raceway to the enclosure. Uh, And since it does contain service conductors, we're going to utilize a bonding bushing, and we're going to have what we call a supply-side bonding jumper. How do you size it? 
Well, that's what we're going to deal with today. And it, in this scenario, it is very much also indicative of the size of the conductors that are supplying this service equipment. Okay, so while it's very similar to 250.66 for the grounding electroconductor, we're sizing for the supply side bonding jumper. And so that's why you have to be in 250.102C. Okay, so we've established that. Okay, we're clear. So in our case, let's kind of keep that fundamental aspect. We have two raceways coming in. And we'll go on and say there are 500 KC mills in each raceway for whatever it's worth. Okay? Um, moving forward. Uh, and so in our scenario here, we have two options. Since we have this impaired connection, uh, and we're going to choose to use bonding bushings, um, we got two options here. And so that's what now firmly takes us into 250.102C. And let's look at it. Now, in 250.102C, let's kind of get past the first part because in order to have bonding jumpers uh, in general, we have to know what material is allowed and we need to know what allows us to how to make these attachments for this material. Okay, so first things first, 250.102A talks about the material that I can use. Well, this is fairly intuitive if you've been in the field for any length of time. You know that it's going to say that these bonding jumpers can be made of copper, they can be made of aluminum, believe it or not. They can be made of copper-clad aluminum, if you wish. But it also goes on to say that other corrosive-resistant materials are allowed. All right, so as long as you have that other corrosive-resistant materials, it allows the door for a manufacturer that might make some other component or something that's integral to the piece of equipment itself to be utilized. It also goes on to say, you know what? These bonding jumpers shall be a wire, a bus, screw, or similar suitable conductor. Now, when it says similar suitable conductor, remember we have wire in this list, which is a conductor. But each one of these items literally are a conductor, if you will. They are making a conductive connection, okay? So don't get lost in the semantics of it, okay? That's what it's saying. All right, now, it goes on to say, okay, so we have these different materials, uh, and usually it is going to be either a wire, where you're going to size it, a bus, which is sized by the manufacturer, a screw, which is also supplied by the manufacturer, and it's a 1103B, and they're providing it, or similar suitable conductor that, again, usually is supplied by the manufacturer in however they design their equipment. Now you need to know how to make that attachment. Well, Bonding jumpers shall be attached in a manner specified by the applicable provisions of 250.8 for the circuits and equipment and by 250.70 for grounding electrodes. Okay, so first things first, what in the world is 250.8 and what is that telling us? Well, if you've been in this industry any length of time, you know that grounding and bonding equipment and, and, and things that are connectors, bus bars, pressure connectors, and all those type of things, in order to make these connections, in order to achieve grounding and bonding of equipment, you ultimately end up at 250.8, and this is the permitted methods to do this. So it says equipment grounding conductors, grounding electroconductors, and bonding jumpers, which is the topic of the day's podcast shall be connected by one or more of the following. So I don't have to choose just one. I could use any of these and there's eight of them here. Uh, again, it goes over listed pressure connectors, uh, uh, terminal bars, pressure connectors used in grounding and bonding equipment, 
exothermic welding machine screw type fasteners that engage not less than two threads or are secured with a nut. That's in case you thread it out too large and you put the screw through there, but you can end up putting a nut on it and, and tightening it up and you can get away that way. Uh, you could have thread forming machine screws that engage not less than two threads in an enclosure. That would be a tapping process. Again, so You've got this little list. You have other listed means. So some other manufacturer could come up with some type of connection as long as they get it listed, okay, with a third party NRTL, Nationally Recognized Testing Laboratory, and it's listed for grounding and bonding, then it could be utilized as well, okay? Uh, Of course, you also have connections that are part of a listed assembly. In other words, that termination is built into the equipment, okay? So you have all these options that you can be able to utilize. Okay, so that's what 250.8 is talking about. So that's a no-brainer for us. We know that we're going to have to make those connections, but what this is saying is you can't use something like solder to be that final connection, or you can't use uh, metal or wood screws to make this connection. Okay, you have to use something that is that is specifically designed for the application. Okay. And of course, uh, 250.70 is just methods of grounding and bonding conductor connections to electrodes. And our course today is, our podcast is not about the electrodes uh, that you're going to see in 250.50. Okay? It's just reminding you, do you have those connections? And it's talking about the same kind of process. Now, ironically enough, 250.8 gives you a, a list item format, whereas 250.70 just kind of rolls them into the text tells you that you can use exothermic welding, listed lugs, listed pressure connectors, listed clamps, all that kind of stuff. So essentially the same thing, it's just reminding you if that connection is to electrode, for example, then 250.70 is going to give you some guidance on that as well. Okay? All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes. So supply-side bonding jumper is found at 250.102C, and you have a C1 and you have a C2. Okay? We're going to go through each one of these. Okay, so we're going to give our scenario. I'm going to paint this picture for you. Hopefully, I can paint this picture. Uh, and in our example, we had two raceways coming in with 500 kc mil uh, in uh, two sets in each one. So A, B, C, or whatever it is in one, A, B, C, or whatever in any other. Okay, and, and, and of course, then at that point, we also have an, an, a, uh, a neutral conductor coming in. Okay, so this is our service. All right, so the first option is, what if we got those metal raceways coming in? And we're dealing with eccentric knockouts. We have the limitations that are in 250.92. We choose to use a bonding bushing, and now we're going to have a bonding jumper. In this case, it's a supply-side bonding jumper because it is on the supply side of the service disconnection means and overcurrent device. Okay. Let's read it. It says, number one, and this is 250.102C1. And remember, what we're trying to do is maintain the integrity of these raceways coming in as they bond to the enclosure through these concentric or eccentric knockouts or these impaired connections. It says, size for supply conductors in a single raceway or cable. It says, a supply-side bonding jumper shall not be smaller than that specified in table 250.102C1. Okay, so in this case, if both of these two sets were run in one raceway, just, you know, maybe it's a trade size six. It's a large raceway. So maybe they're all in the one. Well, if that's the case, it's, it's pretty simple. We're simply going to go down here to table 250.102C1. And we're going to look here. It says, size the largest ungrounded conductor or equivalent area for parallel conductors. Okay. So what are we talking about here? All right. So in our case, we have, if we put them all in one raceway, 
and you read table 250.102C1 as it references, it says the size of the largest ungrounded conductor or equivalent area for parallel conductors. So in our case, we had two parallel sets of 500 kcmo because we're going to start with one large raceway and then we'll break it up into two and show you how you do this. So if this is the case, then the two 500s, you take the largest per set, and so it's a 500 from the one set, 500 from the other set, so that's 1,000 kcmo. You go down to the table, and we'll say copper unless expressed otherwise. Under copper, if it's over 600 through 1,100, you see that it is a 2 ot. okay? So that is the size of the bonding jumper that we'll have, okay? So in this case, you would have one bonding jumper that's going to be size 2 ot. okay? So it's a 2 ot bonding jumper, okay? So that's how you would do it if you were doing it that way for a single raceway or cable, all right? Now, when I say cable, it also applies to MC cables and all that type of thing as well, all right? Now, let's go on to C2. Now, C2 is sizing for parallel conductors installed in two or more raceways, all right? So now our same scenario. Now, we have separate raceways coming in, and we have some options here. So let's look at the code for sizing. Now, it says size for parallel conductor installations in two or more raceways or cables. It says, and incidentally, where you see the or cables in gray, that was my proposal. Okay, why did you leave out cables, baby? All right, so it says where the ungrounded supply conductors are paralleled in two or more raceways or cables and an individual Supply-side bonding jumper is used for bonding these raceways or cable. The size of the supply-side bonding jumper for each raceway or cable shall be selected from table 250-102-C1 based on the size of the ungrounded supply conductors in each raceway or cable. Okay, so when it says individual, that means you're running it directly to each raceway individually. Okay, so in our case, we had 500 set of 500 in raceway one and 500 in raceway two because we already sized it if they were all in one large raceway. So now we have two separate raceways. And if that's the case, you come down to table 250-102-C1 and you'll notice that for 500 KC mil, that's over 350 through 600, that's a one-aught. So now if I want I have to run an individual one-aught to each one of those raceways and it's going to go over to our grounded neutral terminal bus where the main bonding jumper is located and all that good stuff all right so that's our jumper okay so that's going to jump to each one of our raceways to our bonding bushing okay now alternatively what if i don't want to run individuals what if i want to run one single one and i want to loop through if you will or daisy chain the concept in other words go to the first raceways bonding bushing maybe i have a lay-in style lug I lay in that one and tighten it down, and then I continue on to the next raceway. Well, that is permitted to do, and here's what it says. It says, and we're continuing on in 250.102.C2, the last paragraph. It says, a single supply-side bonding jumper installed for bonding two or more raceways or cables shall be sized in accordance with 250.102.C1. And if that's the case, we get into the same scenario before. They are paralleled, and so we will size it based on the parallel aspect. So in this case, we're using one conductor. It's the same as if we did previously if it was just one large raceway. It is 500 kc mil in each one of them. We add them together, and that is 1,000 kc mils. So again, at that point, we're at over 600 through 1,100 column under table 250.102C1. Uh, and in this case, we're in C2, but it references us to use this table in C2. 
And that's going to give us, again, a 2 aught copper conductor. Okay? So the problem you run into there is you might not get a lay-in lug that can handle a 2 aught copper conductor. So that ends up pushing you into these individual connections. Okay? So you end up having to do the individual where you run a one aught to each one of those bonding bushings. But you do have the provision to be able to run a 2 aught through it as long as you can get an adequately sized lug that's listed for that size conductor and it connects to your bonding bushing, then you're good to go. Okay, Pretty simple concept. Now, let's dig into some of the notes. And most notably, you like that pun there? We're going to look at note 1 okay, and understand its application. All right, if you look at note one, you'll see this, and I'll read it verbatim because, again, you're probably listening to the podcast, and we want to make sure that you are able to follow along without having to have the code book with you. That's your choice. It says, if the ungrounded supply conductors are larger than 1,100 kc mil or 1,750 kc mil aluminum, the grounded conductors or bonding jumpers shall have an area not less than 12.5% of the area of the largest ungrounded supply conductors or equivalent area for parallel supply conductors. Okay, uh, It says the grounded conductor in the bonding jumper shall not be required to be larger than the largest unger- ungrounded conductor or set of ungrounded conductors. Okay, Let's not make this complicated. So what if I've got the same scenario, but now I have three raceways coming in? And each one of those raceways are parallel 500 kc mills, sets, okay? So, how do I do that? So, same as before, I could run individuals to each one of those, and in this case, it would only be a one-aught copper, or it could be a three-aught aluminum. Again, remember, copper aluminum is acceptable. Uh, and, and we'll look at note two in a second. Uh, it talks about the uh, materials and stuff like that. Um, but... In this case, we're going to go, we'll stick copper, especially if you're in an exam, assume copper unless expressed otherwise. How do we apply this 12.5%? Well, in our case here, if we did this and we had them parallel and we did 500 plus 500 plus 500, that's 1,500. Well, 1,500 exceeds 1,100 like it says in the note. So, again, we're talking copper. So that pulls us to a point where we're going to have to do 12.5%. So if you have this on an exam or you're wondering how do I size it, then it's just that simple. You take the total aggregate, and that is the 1,500 times 12.5 and equals, and oh, and incidentally, it's easier most of the time to just do the 1,500 on your calculator times 12.5%, okay? And what that's going to result in is an an application where you're going to have a certain value. Alright, so it doesn't really matter how you do this. I mean, there's a couple of different ways. I could do 1500 times 0.125, which is the decimal equivalency of 12.5%. You take the 12.5, move it two decimals over to the left. Um, and that's going to result in 187.5, and that's actually 187.5 kc mil. Okay? It can't be smaller than that. Okay? Now, I could get there also by doing it a different way. I could do 1500 times 12.5 and hit the percent key, it's still going to be 187.5. So once we establish that, now we're sizing that uh, minimum established supply-side bonding jumper based on, because we're over uh, 1,100 kcmil, and we did the 12.5%. So now 
we're going to go to, we got to find out what do we need. We need at least 187.5 KC mil. So in the code book, we're actually going to go to chapter 9, table 8. And we go to chapter 9, table 8, and that's going to give us the values for conductors, and that's going to give us the actual circular mills. So we come down this list, and we see that, well, uh, 3-aught is 167,800. Well, that's not going to work because we need 187,000. So the next size would be a 4-aught, and that is 211,600, okay? So in our example here, that is going to mean that we're going to have to have a 4-aught um, supply-side bonding jumper, and that's what size we're going to have, okay? So in our example, if we're going to daisy-chain these, that's the minimum size we have to have. So we have options. Again, we can get away with running to each raceway and run a 1-aught, or we might end up with a 4-aught if we want to do what's called a loop, a daisy-chain. The problem, again, you run into is... In many cases, you just aren't going to find a lug that's large enough. Uh, whereas you can easily find lugs that are large enough for a one aught. You might not find lugs that's large enough for a four aught. Okay, so that becomes the challenge that people run into. Okay, so how do you tackle it? The good news is the code gives us two ways to tackle that. Okay, one last thing we'll talk about with this one here for the supply side and things like that is what happens if I have copper conductors and I have an aluminum bonding jumper or, or whatever I'm dealing with there. So let's read this so we can kind of understand it. I'll read it to you. You're probably not going to run into this because if you're using copper, uh, then you're probably not going to go out and try to use a wire type aluminum bonding jumper. Now again, it could be a bus, it could be screw, it could be some other means that's provided by the manufacturer and you wouldn't need to do this sizing anyway. Uh, but if you were going to have dissimilar metals, uh, in uh, or different types of metals, I should say, not dissimilar, different types of metals uh, in your bonding process, then you need to understand the basis of how to do this, okay? Probably not going to be on an exam, but it's important that you really understand it, and I like to dig into these little nuances when it comes to things like that. Okay, let me read it. It says, if the ungrounded supply conductors are larger than 1100 KC mil copper or 7050 KC mil aluminum, Okay, it says, and if the ungrounded supply conductors and the bonding jumper are of different materials, in other words, one is copper and one's aluminum, it says the minimum size of the grounded conductor or bonding jumpers shall be based on the assumption or the assumed use of ungrounded condu supply conductors of the same material as the grounded conductor or bonding jumper and will have an ampacity equivalent to that of the installed ungrounded conductors. Okay, what are we saying here? All right, so I might have copper conductors coming in and I have an aluminum bonding jumper, okay? And if that's the case, even though I have copper coming in, I have to take whatever the ampacity value is of that copper and now kind of transform it into what size conductor I would need for aluminum to reach the same ampacity. And then do it that way and that's how I equivalent to what I need as far as the bonding jumper that's going to be aluminum when I'm sizing that aluminum. So in other words, I have to pretend that if I had a copper conductor coming in that was a certain ampacity value, let's say it's at 500 kc mil, and now I have to assume it at the same ampacity value, 
But now I got to pick that same ampacity value from 31015B16 for the aluminum conductor. And though, even though they're copper conductors, I have to imagine that they are aluminum conductors and I have to pick the size that they would need to be for the same ampacity value as aluminum conductors and then use those size conductors in order to now apply the 12.5% and be able to size the properly sized um, aluminum bonding jumper. Okay, that's all it's saying. Now, when you get up to 1100 or you're not over 1750, you don't have to worry about that because that's already done in the table. You get both sizes of copper and aluminum that you can use. Okay, but when you start getting over that and you're using the 12.5% application and those coppers are above 1100 or the aluminum is above 1750 and you have a different supply conductor type versus the bonding jumper or grounding conductor type, you need to know how to figure it as if those supply conductors were the same type as whatever the bonding jumper is okay and it's very simple okay so read it hopefully that didn't confuse you but that's what you're doing so again if i had to summarize it if i have copper conductors coming in but my bonding jumper is aluminum whatever the ampacity of those copper conductors that are supplying the equipment are supplying the service, I have to go to 31015B16 and find a comparable size aluminum conductor that can handle the same ampacity as those copper ones have. Once I choose that conductor, those are the ones I do at 12.5%, and then that's how I size my aluminum bonding jumper if that's what I'm going to do. Okay? But that only applies when you get over 12 and a half, when you're using the 12.5% rule, uh, and when you're over 1100 copper or 1750 aluminum. That's the only time that you deal in that. Okay. Up to those sizes, I just simply go to 250-102-C1 and pick it from there, whether I use a bonding jumper, is aluminum or copper. It really doesn't matter at that point. All right. All right, so that really covers the two important note one and note two. So the next thing that we want to move into is 250-102-D. And this is dealing with the equipment bonding jumpers on the load side. Now, I could save you a lot of grief and, and go through a lot of explanation but again, ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to end up at 250.122 because that's how we size equipment grounding conductors, but it's also what we're going to do for equipment bonding jumpers on the load side. It's very much hingent on, and I don't even know if hingent's a word, it's very much tied to the, the overcurrent device, okay? So that's how you can keep from getting confused. If we're on the load side, anything to do with the feeders that are going out and any type of bonding of raceways that are going out, uh, then at that point, uh, we're going to use 250.122. But how do we get there? We're going to get there by 250.102D. So let's read it. It says, sizing, equipment bonding jumpers on the load side of an overcurrent device. It says the equipment bonding jumpers on the load side of an overcurrent device shall be sized in accordance with 250.122. It says, a single common continuous equipment bonding jumper shall be permitted to connect two or more raceways or cables if the bonding jumper is sized in accordance with 250.122 for the largest overcurrent device supplying circuits therein. Okay, so what does that mean? Now, what if on our same scenario, we had four raceways leaving? Uh, and you've got four different raceways, and I've got them coming up into the bottom. Let's say it's an open bottom switch gear. And so I have raceways with bonding bushings on them, and now I have to bond these raceways. I have to maintain the integrity because let's say they don't connect to the enclosure, okay? 
or maybe there's some kind of impaired connection and it's uh, and you really have to maintain the integrity because maybe we're using that raceway on the load side as our equipment grounding conductor as permitted in 250.118 of the National Electrical Code. Okay, so let's assume we're doing that. Now, I have options. I can run that same concept of a daisy chain if I want. Okay, well, in our scenario, let's say we have a a a panel board set up with six breakers in it, and we have one that's 250, one that's 200, one that's 300, one that's 350. So I've got four different raceways with feeders going out to whatever they're going to. But I want to use one connection or one jumper, one individual equipment bonding jumper for all of these raceways. Well, I can do it. I can daisy chain it. I'm going to base this on the size of this equipment bonding jumper based on the largest overcurrent device protecting the conductor's that are feeding each one of these raceways. So I might have the 250 is feeding one raceway, those set of conductors. I have a 200 feeding another raceway. I have a 300 feeding another raceway. And I have a 350 feeding another raceway. I want to go with the largest overcurrent device. So in this case, it was 350. So in sizing that single continuous daisy chain type of bonding equipment, um, a bonding jumper, I'm going to go to 250.122 and I'm going to size that. So it's based on the 350 um, the, the amp rating of that device. And so I go to 250.122 and I'm going to pick it in the list. So in this list, you see that it's a 300 and then it jumps to 400. Okay. Well, since 350 falls between 300 and 400, we can't go with 300. Okay. We have to go with 400. So under 400, it tells me it has to be a three gauge. Okay. And that's copper or a one gauge aluminum. Okay, so in our scenario, I can have a continuous um, equipment bonding jumper run down and have it loop through lay-in lugs on bonding bushings through all four of these raceways, and I'm fine. Okay, um, and then I could get it done that way, and I'm good to go. All right, that's one way to do it. But another way to do it is simply to do just like we did before because this is a permissive statement. This allows me to run a continuous. It already uh, permits me to be able to run it an individual one. Now some people get hung up on this because it talks about the individual one when you're dealing with the supply side and then when you get down here it doesn't say that but that's because it says a single common continuous equipment bonding jumper shall be permitted but I could run individuals to each one of these. And of course, the individual one that I run to each one is going to be size 250.122 based on the overcurrent protection that is ahead of the conductors that are in each one of those specific raceways in those circuits that are associated with it. Okay, so that's another option so I can do it that way. Okay, so hopefully you got a good understanding the basics of supply side bonding jumper sizing as well as the sizing of equipment bonding jumpers on the load side. Again, my example of that would be on the load side where you're maybe using the raceway as an equipment ground and it has an impaired connection or something's not right as it connects to the metal box and you need to maintain that integrity or that ground fault path, okay? Then what happens is you put a bonding bushing on there and then you would put an equipment uh, bonding jumper over to the grounded terminal bus uh, where you put all your equipment grounds or all your grounded conductors or go to. Again, we're in a main panel in this in our scenario today. Uh, and so that is where you would do it, okay? And, and maintain that integrity of that connection. 
Now, obviously, if you ran an equipment grounding conductor with those circuits as well, uh, then you're going to size that equipment grounding conductor the exact same way based on 250.122 as well. We're talking about the integrity of the raceway in the, in the bonding component. That's why it's called an equipment bonding jumper, okay, on the load side to maintain that integrity. Uh, many ways to do all this, but I just wanted to discuss the sizing aspects of it. Uh, if this presented any additional questions for you, please, please, by all means, email us at info at uh, you can go to our website. We have a contact us feature on there. We have an interactive console. You can actually go to our contact us page and send us something if you don't want to send it by email. Um, we have a Facebook page. If you're studying for the exam, go join our Facebook pages. Um, again, watch our YouTube, listen to our podcasts from our website, from Spotify, Spreaker, all these other type of things. Share this with other people. This is free information. We're not charging for it. We want to help you understand the National Electrical Code. If any of it you don't understand or I went too fast for you, please just reach out to us. I'm more than happy to clarify and explain something to you. We're not perfect. Uh, My teaching style is unique, so hopefully you get something out of it. Now, until next time, look, stay safe out there. Good luck on studying the National Electrical Code. If you need us, we're here. Until next time, stay safe. God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day. Just looking bright.